0: So before we start this episode, I just wanted to let you know about the retreat I'm going to teach very shortly, well in October, at Purple Valley Yoga in Goa, alongside my very special guest, Edwin Bryant. So it's a two weeks retreat, both weeks there'll be a source class in the morning, every morning, and the first week I'll be there teaching asana workshops in the afternoons, the second week Edwin will take the reins for his knowledge and philosophy, including going through his well-known book on the yoga sutras in person. Further than that, Purple Valley Yoga Goa is generally great. A lovely shala, great food, wonderful staff and set on a beautiful grounds with a pool. So I'm sure you're going to have a great time. See yoga for uh, details or go to yogagoa.com as well. I hope to see you there. Today on the Kino Yoga Podcast, we have Clayton Horton. It's been a while getting you on. I should have come around to you a lot earlier, but it's nice to have you now. My pleasure. Thank you. Again. Yeah. Yeah. Um, right. So I guess first things first, everyone wants to know, you know, like, I mean, you're, you know, let's say you're a senior practitioner um, in, in every form and fashion. And, uh, you know, you must have been doing yoga for, for many years now. How did you first get into it? And how did it transpire? You ended up teaching Ashtanga.
1: Well, good question. I I started doing yoga pretty much when I would warm up before swimming. I was a competitive swimmer in high school and college, and we'd always do some stretches and things like that. And um, when I was going to school at the University of Oklahoma, I took a a Asian philosophy class um, and was very interested in all that stuff, and um, then I was on the swim team at the university of oklahoma and they dropped the swim program but i was still very interested in uh competing and things so i started doing triathlons and ended up moving to del mar california in san diego area where a lot of pros trained and i wanted to learn how to surf uh, i grew up in oklahoma and so i moved to san diego and i uh, went to a junior college there uh, i was on the water polo team and getting ready for the swim season and I took another asian philosophy class and um you know i never really was a good student but uh suddenly i'm like raising my hand leading class discussions making a's on the tests and i'm like i'm really into it i really like this stuff and um then later i moved up to san francisco very soon after that uh uh, and i was working at a health food store um tom's natural foods on on Geary Street. And someone came in with a, a poster for a yoga class. And I said, yoga? So I've been thinking about yoga. You know, I had seen pictures of yogis when dreadlocks sitting in Lotus uh, in my uh, philosophy classes. And I was just look at that and what are those guys doing? That looks so mysterious. So anyway, I started practicing yoga at Walt and Maganya Baptiste's studio in San Francisco. That's Baron Baptiste's parents. I right. had the first yoga studio first uh, vegetarian restaurant they invented the tofu burger you know these people were trailblazers and uh, their kids are still doing that today that was in 87. Uh, okay 88 mm. 87 yeah and so I started good. doing yoga with them yeah. Hatha yoga very spiritually oriented you know crystals and gongs and you know visualizations and it's really beautiful then I started to take Iyengar classes at a junior college in Marin, Marin County, and studied there with uh, Alice Rocky for several years. And uh, all of a sudden, she said one day, she said, um, this guy's coming to town. And I I think a lot of you will be interested in it. It's a power yoga workshop and (laughs) power yoga. (laughs) What a stupid name, I thought. And she says, no, 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 Clayton, you should really go. You'll like it. You'll like it. I so, said, okay, I'll check it out. What's the guy's name? Oh, Brian Kest. Nice. Oh, okay. So I went to the workshop and uh, he had just come back from Mysore. And it wasn't called Ashtanga, but it was all Mulabunda and Drishti and everything. And uh, I found it fascinating and uh, really liked it. Um, and I was in a band at the time playing bass. And that night we were rehearsing and I kind of was playing, breathing, looking looking at my hand and uh, I can't really describe what happened. But I noticed that my awareness was completely different than before with the Drishti and my breathing in the hand. And I thought, oh, that's it's the yoga, yoga. This is deep stuff. So I started practicing in in Marin County uh, with Peggy Orr and Karen Haberman. Karen Haberman was her name at the time. Uh, And uh, kept hearing stories about guruji you know um govinda kai and duncan wong these were these were my buddies they were my teachers at the time and i kept hearing these stories about amazing stories about guruji so i wanted to go you know i wanted to find a good teacher i wanted to find the best teacher Uh, so i saved up my money i was working at restaurants uh had a day job and a night job sold my volkswagen bus um went to India and I told my friends, you know, I may never come back. You know, I'm just gonna go for it. I'm gonna see how long it lasts. You know, I pinched my pennies, pinched my rupees, and I stayed like eight months there. Yeah. Eight months, yeah. Uh and studied with Guruji that? this was ninety-six. 96. Right. I studied with Guruji and Sharat for four months and then traveled around by myself and came back and started teaching yoga. Um and uh, you know really hustling as a young teacher i but i was really committed to being a yoga teacher i really wanted i was really going for it and you know i really wanted to everyone you know wanted to be famous and well-known i wanted to be a full-time yoga teacher and you know do all those things that the generation before me i saw them doing and they were kind of my role models you know the mm. tim miller's the richard freeman's the uh, all those people that uh, were the generation ahead of me uh they led really good example of how to live a yogic lifestyle and i i um started teaching at many different places all over marin county and san francisco Um, i even taught at larry schultz's studio for a while uh the rocket man uh, the rocket Mm -hmm. yoga it's Mm -hmm. yoga and uh and so one time i was in fairfax california where i was living and i went by a into a juice bar that i had Uh, visited frequently, and I met a man who was introduced to me by the owner of the Juice Storey. His name was Tariq Hamid, the gentleman I was introduced to by the owner. The owner of the Juice Bar introduced me to him because he knew I liked music, knew I liked yoga. Uh, Tariq Hamid was uh, in his late 60s at the time, uh, uh, and he was the man to become my mentor and teacher. I had some great conversations with him before I went to India and he told me about uh, some books to read and some places to go. Mm. Uh, He was into nada yoga. He was friends with Ali Akbar Khan, musicians, uh, Ravi Shankar. He hung out with the Beatles and he knew the Grateful Dead. And uh, he traveled to India with uh, Richard Alpert Ram Dass and all Mm. these. So anyway, Green Sufi is his name, Tariq Hamid, Green Sufi. And so I studied with him for many years, uh, him teaching me Tantra and meditation and Nada Yoga. And all this time I was studying Ashtanga Yoga, and uh, suddenly he said, you know, it's, it's time for you to open your own studio. He says, you know, I see all these people around here in the community, and he's like, You're better than all of them, you know. I was was like, No, 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 no. I'm not ready for that. No, no, no. But he planted a seed in me, and you know, one day driving around San Francisco, look these rent for rent signs. Ooh, ooh, okay, you know. So finally, I opened up my own studio. Um, I signed the lease on October fifth of two thousand one. That was right after nine eleven, and I opened the doors at. uh, in late October of two thousand one. It was a very auspicious time to open a yoga studio. People were kind of freaked out, you know. Um, it was a good time for people to start doing yoga. So, it was a good it was a good time. And the name of the studio was Green Path. Yeah, I remember hearing
0: about that. I mean, I knew that you were teaching in San Francisco. That was yeah, that was kind yeah, of your yeah. reputation. Yeah, and I suppose we should point out to listeners where you are now. So, I mean. When- also, cause you're not in San Francisco anymore and you haven't been for many years now, so do you wanna, sure. I had I my, my studio
1: in, in Green Path yeah, for about yeah, five yeah. years. Yeah. And then, um, the landlord classic story wanted to raise the rent. And, uh, I didn't want to work twice as hard, I wanted to double the rent, not just raise it, but double mm-hmm. it. And so I started traveling more. I closed the studio and started traveling more and, um, ended up in Hong Kong, long story short, working for pure yoga. Uh, they're a large, uh, chain franchise of yoga. They have 12 studios or 11 studios in Hong Kong. And they also have gyms and uh, pure fitness and, uh hmm. big studio and lots of students. And yeah,
0: must be rather different teaching there to teaching in San Francisco, right? Oh,
1: well, uh, that's a, that's a good question. I get sometimes, you know, um, hmm. People in Asia, perhaps you've noticed since you're in Singapore now, Mm. the ego is a little different. Um, Ego is a little softer and not so in your face. People are more polite in Asia, I think. People Mm. have uh, they're not so egotistical or angry, as I noticed in, in at least California and San Francisco and uh, which is quite pleasant Uh, Mm. people are still people everyone shares the same emotions but different cultures have different guna combinations that uh but i enjoy teaching in asia and uh it's been good for me to be able to relate to that asian mentality there's a part of me deep inside that uh, is able to relate with them in a good way and uh yeah so i fit in well here it's not everybody's cup of tea. You may notice this yourself that some personalities they may not be able to survive
0: so yeah, well. I kind of think it's an e- in, in many respects it's easier to teach in Asia because you know, like where in Europe, you're constantly kind of getting questioned and and uh, and you know, it's it's dirigere it's normal to question authority and it's conceived as a positive thing. You know, which is fine mm. and good in Asia. Perhaps I could do with a little bit more of that sometimes. But on the other hand, you know, as a They're teacher, shy, reality, yeah. you know, it's uh, it's it, it ostensibly much easier because they are, they, you know, like you offer an instruction and it's, you know, it's done. <laughs> and it's absurd. It's true. It's, yeah. yeah which is without having to kind of explain and justify, which I find myself doing in Europe a lot, you know, which is good. I mean, there's a lot of, you know, there's pluses and minuses. But, you know, I, I would say most people would, would probably agree it's easy to teach in Asia. Than, than to teach out you know yeah. in Europe or the US or you know Western culture i us say yeah
1: yeah so if you're giving a song or a lecture you really have to uh, engage them because they won't mm. really ask questions unless yeah. you yeah. Uh, really stir them up a bit uh
0: uh-huh. yeah it can feel like you're just talking just talking, <laughs> <laughs> you don't know what's uh, what's being uh, understood or, or appreciated or not. Yeah, I mean, it's really, I, you know, I do feel it's different. Obviously, there's also different challenges with body types, you know, different propensities for certain movements being easier and harder, right? Um, and I think, you know, also, I mean, you know, I, I, it's always unpopular to say this, but I still believe having taught in London and had, a, you know, a charla, a studio in the centre of the financial district, London, for many years, teaching white Caucasian men. That uh, you know that the Asian body type is still a more more suitable, let's say, or more easily accessible to this this particular movement modality than than uh, the guys I was teaching in the city of London. You know, so, uh,
1: definitely, the people in Singapore are quite flexible. People in Hong Kong are too, but we all we, we all seem to see the same different body types. You know, you have the the copper body type the Vata and the Pitta, and they all have their own challenges I've learned over the years. You know? But as I matured in my teaching, I haven't, I kind of treat people more individually in their body types. And some people won't be able to do a pose as well as other body types. So I don't, I don't, confu- I'm not confused there. And I don't try to I confuse them thinking that they'll be able to do the full pose someday and I don't encourage them I let them do their best at you know as their bodies can do mm. and so uh, it's been a while since I've taught in Europe and uh it's been a while since I taught in the US so it'll be interesting to to travel back there soon and and teach and see further complex like cultures well, I've gone back to, to see my mom and family in California several times. Yeah. But I haven't uh, organized big tours for myself or anything like that lately. i have just kind of I'm so busy here in Asia uh, that when I travel, I uh, I don't even I don't even teach these days. But uh, that's not to say I, I don't and I won't. Uh, I've just been enjoying my vacations lately. Yeah.
0: When you say you studied Ashtanga Yoga, and people always use this term, what does that mean for you? What does that, I mean, you're talking about the gunas and bringing Ayurveda into that. How do you, you know, what's your kind of understanding of, of what that means to study Ashtanga Yoga?
1: Well, of course, the Yamas and niyamas, um Living them, understanding them, learning how to teach them, learning how to describe them, learning how to demonstrate them, learning how to integrate them into your life is an ongoing process. You know, I guess as students first we learn the list. Right. And memorize the five yamas, the five niyamas and oh, you memorize the definition. Then you start to figure out, well, how am I going to. Begin to. Perfect my personality and how I treat myself and others more and so. That is an ongoing process, mm. and the same with the gunas. We, our understanding of them, is ongoing. Same with the doshas. Uh, we see the gunas in ourselves. We see the doshas in ourselves, and we also see them in other people. And uh, as we learn more about the gunas of Samkhya Yoga and the doshas of Ayurveda we're able to help people more, I think, you know, and so it's inspired me as a teacher to just keep learning and as you you teach these things, I'm sure you've realized also that you get better at describing them, get better at answering people's confusion over the the, the difference between this one and this and that and, and what it is and what it isn't. And so that has been my studying and also with the consistent meditation practice consistent pranayama practice um, we i have learned more and more um experientially what meditation what pranayama is uh, what is concentration what is lack of concentration and how Mm. food and environment and lifestyle relate with that. And so when I, we say studying Ashtanga yoga, uh, I'm always listening and reading people's books, uh, following people on social media that I think are interesting, uh, studying nutrition. Uh, you able and to so-
0: dovetail that into your, into the way you teach? and you know, Because I always find a slight frustration in the actual, room of the, the yoga itself look whenever you want to call that because you know you have this quiet space and you don't really often see the people outside that so it's hard to kind of give a perspective outside the asana itself are you do you, do you find you're able to cons- somehow construe or, or put over the you know the ashtanga yoga in a broader framework when you're teaching the actual series of Patabi joyce's ashtanga yoga do you think they dovetail together at all been able to,
1: to do, does what tail together
0: well you're talking about yoga philosophy in a broader sense and then you're oh. teaching asana in a yoga room um, I don't know perhaps you do a conference now and again as well where you might put forth some ideas but uh, on the daily level when you're teaching you know physical yoga are you able to kind of contextualize it within this broader framework and how would you do that
1: when I'm teaching Mysore style I don't talk much and as I've matured and grown, I I talk less. Um, And when I'm teaching a lead class, I still don't talk much. I talk a little uh, I, but where I do talk is in workshops and satsangs and conferences, teacher trainings, things like that. Uh, And when I give workshops, that's when I that's when I talk about yoga philosophy lifestyle, how to take care of yourself. You know, self-care is a big topic these days. And Sharat sometimes talks about, you know, you're having problems. You need to learn how to manage yourself. But it's true. It's like how to live, how to live properly and weaving the teachings of yoga. And uh, learning Mm. from different systems, whether it be Ayurveda, Samkhya, Yoga, Tantra what have you
0: yeah well you've certainly managed to do that because i'm you know can can say you may be over 50 years old and you've m- managed to sustain an amazing practice i've seen it in Mysore. um mm-hmm. and uh yeah it's just incredible the way that you've managed to, to 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 live these teachings over these years and keep up you know in such a healthy you know sense of persona that you that comes across it veritably comes across for you um so how would you see that over the years that your teaching has changed then you mentioned before that you feel you've matured and you're not making people do the posture anymore that you're allowing them to do a variation perhaps or or well, uh, you know mo- modification and and you know but i know that you're still very much going you know um, seeing Sharas or sharatji as some some f- some one of your teachers at least how do you square sure. that approach with the more traditional approach that you find in my song it's an obvious question i know but always intrigued well, to hear
1: let me just answers. talk about myself when i first started mm. and I, there's probably a lot of similarities in a lot of young teachers you you want to prove to yourself and other people that you know what you're talking about that you know what you're doing you want to give you want to do a good job and so you're you're trying to show that you know what you're doing and you know how to do it. You know how to teach well. You know how to give a great adjustment. Uh, and, you know, you, when I was, I want to burn the best incense. I wanted to play the coolest music, you know, all of that to, to really try to establish myself. And then after a while, I started to think, well, you know, I don't even want music in my class. I want them to hear me. And then I started to, you know, try to speak as clearly as possible, just as few Mm -hmm. words as possible, because I don't want to say it again. I just want to say it one time and they get it. And um, so as I got older, I noticed that what's important for an Ashtanga teacher, in my opinion, is to just support the student in their practice and everybody comes with different body and mind and psyche and if you can see them and you can see what they need then you know what to give to them Uh, i often use the metaphor of the garden say it's a garden of flowers there's a bunch of different flowers every flower needs a different thing some flower needs more water some needs more sunshine some needs to be left alone seem some needs support and so this is the way it is in the yoga room that I see. And so I, I tried to meet the student where they are and give them what they need. But first you have to to see what they need. And I guess I, there, there came a time where um, instead of me trying to show them myself or the world that I was capable and a good teacher, I just tried to be Uh, a good friend and teacher. And what I mean by friend, I don't mean like buddies. I mean, be friendly, friendly to them. And as soon as attention and awareness and my energy was put into the relationship of student-teacher in that way, magical things started to happen and my job got easier, it seemed, you know, if that makes any sense. So, Um, As you know, we have people with all different bodies, different ages, different strengths. We get athletes, we get non-athletes. And so an athlete and a non-athlete is totally, if they're beginners, it's a totally different thing. And uh, not to mention age and all of this and injuries. And uh, some people are there to show off, some people are there because they want to know find god some people are there because they're bored some people are there to meet friends and so you, 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 this is the mix and so i just kind of dance with a, that
0: it, yeah it, it seems obviously an, you know a very kind of tolerant and, and individually based perspective to have on things and but it, it it's still not exactly as we were taught perhaps in my itself in a more kind of stringent and more codified manner um do you do the both right, well see you know, i think that, that
1: was an I, let me just say, the way that Guruji and Sharat would, you know, lay down these laws, that was an act. So things, so that, so things wouldn't get out of control, in my right. opinion. Mm-hmm. So things wouldn't get out of control mm. because it was plus they had to lay down the rules so that the, the, the ripples and the waves that went out into the world. Ashtanga would be clear. It would be clear that we. it's not this way, it's this way. We don't do this. No, this one's next. And we look here. It was very clear. And so that was needed, OK? But then once everybody understands that, then you can. It's like you learn the song, then you can improv. And so once you get everybody in your room, you, you get them to know the sequence. Uh, then there can be some leniency in a way you know and for example Mm. oh don't use blocks you can't use blocks so-and-so says you can't use blocks well i let this beginner use a block and it's okay you know i i discovered that it was okay
0: nothing nothing terrible (laughs) happened i mean i suppose the thing (laughs) is that you know and i totally agree with you that you know the, the rules and the, the it was taken too literally by the teacher outside my who didn't have such a large group to manage. You know, because a lot of it's just logis- logistics, like it's crowd control. You know, you've got a you've got a chaos in your hands otherwise. But going home, perhaps the rules have been taken too literally,
1: especially and, and, for and the, the especially them, for it, us as
0: if we were young teachers, younger, yeah, younger we, students we and to, teachers.
1: We wanted to do mm. the right thing. We wanted to show the right thing and show everybody that no, it's this, it's this. Um, but um yeah so that was a process that i went through and uh i feel more at peace with it now yeah
0: so if someone can't do mary charleston A D, you let them go on depending on their body type and their propensity to write them.
1: oh well the thing is with the beginners i noticed if they usually the beginners if they if they can't if they don't know the sequence that's the real problem why teach them more stuff if they don't know the stuff already so just keep it, keep it contained and small for now. And if they want to do this one or do this one, I said, no, just stick with this ones I taught you yesterday, get good at that. And then we'll go on and, um, but then, you know, we get, you know how it is sometimes you get a student that's very athletic and very intelligent, the type of student that only needs to be told once. And they remember it. Wow. How cool. We let those people run. We let them go and, and, you know, keep going yeah you know you already know the pose oh i don't have to teach it to you go ahead do it Uh, but then other people that are forgetting it and you know falling out of it and shaking and sweating that's the time where uh, they're losing their form and maybe you should just you know do backbending now and so um what do you think (laughs)
0: what's the purpose of the whole uh you know it's an athletic sequence of asana it was you know probably a modern precedent a modern phenomenon uh what's the purpose of the of this in your eyes i mean you mentioned meditation many people say that you know asana the classic thing asana is a precursor for meditation but on the other hand half the yoga has always been a system in and of itself for energy manipulation in the body um, to produce a different mindset um what, what do you think about that what what why are you doing the yoga and uh and do you think it's uh, necessary to go through all this to do meditation? Or, or can you go straight to meditation if that's what it's about?
1: You can, if you're lucky, if your body and nervous system is purified. But, you know, I came to, to realize, you know, Sharat and Patavi Joyce, they would always say, asana foundation, asana foundation. Someone would ask a pranayama or a meditation question or some kind of esoteric sutra, and they would say, don't even talk about that now, because let's just do the asana first, and it makes some sense to me. Uh, of course, there are people, you've probably seen them come into your class, some people that are uh, highly sought people, very refined, uh, very good concentration. They don't, not they may not need to jump through all of the hoops that Uh, Someone who has weak concentration, low energy, very toxic, uh, easily distracted, uh, has a lot of trauma issues um, that needs to work through all their mommy, daddy stuff and anger and uh, everybody's different. But the asana, it's cleansing and it's purifying. That's the deal and cleansing in physical level
0: or a mental level what you know can you expand that term right
1: it's energetically physically psychically psychically mental uh, very cleansing and you don't always need to you know get into third series to reap the rewards and taste the fruit of a stronger yoga but i have to say Some people who say, oh, I know ashtanga. I've been to a couple classes before. They will never understand the beauty and the bliss that people like you and I have tasted by going to Mysore or Purple Valley and studying with someone for a month and eating good food and relaxing after practice and being in nature. And, you know, those highs that you that those highs that the ordinary person will not touch base with that because they haven't done that tapasya, that work, that cleansing work with the discipline and the sweating and the detox, the purification, uh, cleansing of the nadis, uh, to be able to be comfortable sitting and be in control of your breathing and quiet your mind. And so for a lot of people, asana is necessary and Ongoing, ongoing asana, not just a little bit here and there. We need to constantly be keeping our our vehicle uh, clean and in running condition. You know, it's like a car or, or, or a bicycle. We've got to constantly be uh, polishing it or it starts to get a little rusty. Mm-hmm. And that's what I, the way I regard asana my age, Mm. I'm I'm 57 years old, and it's maintenance and keeping the body strong and the Nadi's cleaned and the breath deep and the concentration good. uh, And it's not just and and food is a part of that lifestyle Mm. environment.
0: What's well, yeah? I mean, t- really touch heart- upon that. You mentioned you worked at a health food shop, and you're kind of very much in the kind of like this kind of health food movement. It seems in San Francisco. What's your take on food? How do you eat? You know, personally, um, I'm not saying I'm, I, I'm sure you. Would...
1: I'm yeah, vegetarian. Um, yeah. I eat cheese sometimes, eggs, not very much eggs. I don't eat garlic, onions, and uh, mushrooms as as much as possible. I'm a member of the tantric spiritual group Ananda Marga. Uh, which was uh, established by uh, Satguru Sri Sri Ananda Murthy. Um, he passed away in 1990. And uh, it's uh, uh, a group that is based on social service and meditation. Uh, and they're also very big in kirtan. And diet is a big part of that. And right. before I was initiated into Ananda Marga, I was I would work at health foods restaurants and health food stores and so and I used to make herbal teas and there was a period you know in the late 80s early 90s I was a real new age fascinated you know young man where I was collecting crystals and flower essences and you know yeah. reading books about Atlantis and you know dreaming of mermaids and dolphins and surfing and you know I was it was my life and I
0: still, still I think when, <laughs> when you first get into yoga, it, it's kind of overwhelming. Everything's,
1: everything's new and amazing and beautiful, yeah, soak it all yeah, up. Yeah, <laughs> yeah,
0: just bring it all in crystals and gurus and everything, just yeah, <laughs> all in one big melange. Well you know you went Batabi Joyce and Shirat, and you, you obviously spent time with Batabi Joyce as well. Would you mind telling me what you, you know you thought about the, the, the take-home points of their teaching that resonated with you and and did you find a difference in, in Batabi Joyce's teaching and, uh, and Sharatji's teaching?
1: Well, someone once said that Patabi Joyce was a people person, you know, and I thought, oh yeah, that's right, he was, you know. Um, when I first went to Mysore in in nineteen ninety six, you know, I was thirty one years old, and you know, I had had some secret, you know, desires that, you know, he would recognize me from some past life and really give me a great hug and tell me, welcome, you know, oh, you're, you're amazing, Clayton. But he, he didn't at all, of course, and that was perfect. And what I do remember was his amazing smile when I first walked into the Shala at the beginning. And he was he was a joyful man. And uh, his voice was very strong and powerful. The way he would yell at people to get you to do things was quite amazing. And that he would yell really loud. But there was there wasn't an anger behind it. He was just yelling to get you to do it. And uh, in the West, in, in the family that I was raised in, we were uh, yelling at each other, and people, you know, yell at each other to, to get their way, you know. But in Asia, they just look at you like you're crazy. And so that was really a powerful thing for me to notice that. Uh, their intention was always positive, huh? and shirat is the same way it, a lot of times. Um, but your question, if I'm not mistaken, was what well, the, the take home with it is that what you're asking? Yeah.
0: me? Yeah, I was gonna say, like, what did they teach you? What would you say was the teaching you got in Mysore that was different from, say, the teaching you got back home? Yeah,
1: I was blown away by. Their dedication and lifestyle, you know, um, demonstrated the demonstration of this culture. And uh, as an American, when I f- went to India, I just loved the fact that it was a safe place for me to just dive into my spirituality. All the things that, and I don't, I can't really put a finger, the words aren't there for why I didn't feel so, it felt part of the culture, you know, to, mm. to where, where I was from, it necessarily wasn't. Uh-huh. Mm. And so, I, yeah. my soul was really thirsty for that. And so, the take home that I had was that I want to stay in this zone as long as I can where I want to stay free is what I that was my like mantra when I came back in 1997. I want to stay free as long as I can. And staying free meant, you know, being in that spiritual zone, practicing all the time. And I was able to stay there for a while until I had to, like, you know, pay more rent. And then I had to, you know, kick it up a notch and get back into the game a little bit. And uh, it's interesting, you know, people go to Mysore to study Ashtanga Yoga and they may not get what they expected. Of course, those of us who have gone there, we notice at least uh, when I went to Lakshmi Purim with Guruji and earlier with Sharat and Guruji and later with just Sharat, that there wasn't a lot of adjustments. There was, wasn't a lot of technique. There wasn't a lot of alignment. There wasn't a lot of philosophy. There wasn't a lot of Sanskrit or chanting. There is now kind of you had you were on your own. You were totally on your own. But here's this tool to really hone your body and mind to a place where you can really do it now. You, it sharpened up your toolkit, you know, to where your body, mind could really align itself, some parallelism between your soul's spiritual desires and what your mind and body uh, was prepared for with the mm. awesome uh, of that intensity, f- six days a week. Yeah.
0: I'm just going to cut it off at the bud, as, as people would say. Oh well, you know, like you seem to have a very positive um, viewpoint of Patabi Joyce, and you know, he did all these things, these bad things, and we all know the revelations. I mean, how do you square that your experience of him, which sounds adamantly positive, with the later, um, more recent revelations, allegations, um, um, you know, against Patabi Joyce and his behaviour?
1: Yeah, well, I didn't really see much. I heard quite a bit. But and then when it all kind of avalanched into that, you know, into the social media and this and that, uh, of course, when, when people said a bunch of bad things about Michael Jackson, I still loved his music. When people still said, "Oh Patabi Joyce this, Patabi Joyce, that that wasn't my relationship with him. My relationship with him was something else, and so I had to you know, oh, these people are suffering because this happened uh, oh I, can't, I am not saying that's good, of course it's not good uh, but There came a time where I was supposed to take his picture off my altar at the place I worked. Mm. And I'm like, WTF, are you serious? And then I I thought about it. I said, oh, it's not about me. It's about the others who might be disturbed by this or that. And so I was like, "Okay." I can, I can deal with that. I can, I can roll with that, you know, Mm. but uh, everyone has, has their own relationship with him. Everyone has their own relationship to the story and the stories and everyone has to deal with it in their own way and eventually come to peace with it, however they can. And so it's kind of like an individual thing. Um, so, uh, whatever happened, I still have my my own memories of Mysore, mm-hmm. and no story can change that. Mm. Uh, so, I tried not to get too involved in saying, oh, point fingers or get too involved. But of course, that sort of abuse is is not acceptable in any manner and uh
0: well, i think you've i think you've uh pallied it quite well the question as it were because it's not an easy question to answer and and obviously many people did have positive experiences and uh and many people you know clearly you know undeniably didn't so uh it's uh yeah it, there's no
1: we, but there's I, no easy st- way we to still go. love the practice still love the mm. practice
0: so, what you know? Finally, Clayton, where where do you see your practice going now in the future years? I mean, you're still a, a maintaining an advanced series practice on a physical level. What are you kind of practicing these days, and where do you see your practice going in terms of meditation, and other things? Um, you know, what's your aims? What are your aims now?
1: Well, for a long time, meditation has been a, the, I, it's the main part of my practice, and Asana is there right along with it. And I use asana to uh, be healthy and strong. And um, as someone who teaches first, second, and third series, it's good for me to still do those poses so that I can teach them and demo them. But uh, I'm sure most Ashtanga teachers out there have noticed that if you do a full on, you know, full second half of third practice before you teach Mysore style in the morning, it's kind of exhausting. And you you, and you may not even want to talk to people for an hour or so after your practice. You know, you're not so sociable, you're, you know, so um, I don't try to do too much asana. I've never been injured by doing asana and knock on wood at 57 years old. Mm. Um, so I try not to overtrain, you know, I try not to over do it with the asana. Mm. But, you know, what just happened? I just went to Bali with a big group of my students. And I had to get ready to practice lead intermediate with Sherrod. I had to prepare myself, and it was hard. It was, you know, working on my Karnavasana OMG, you know, you know, getting that Kapitasana good, you know. And so, um, I just try to maintain a certain level of my practice uh, to where I can still enjoy the poses. I even do some weightlifting so that I stay strong and my joints are strong, keep my hands and shoulders and core strong so that, uh, mm. I can still do this for a few more years. I enjoy swimming a lot. I enjoy surfing mm. a lot. I do a lot of Kirtan I play a lot of music. Uh, those are some other things that I do, uh, to keep myself stoked.
0: lifestyle. Um, I always yeah. end up on these questions then, and I'll, I'll I'll slide straight into them. Give me um to 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 conclude our our chat. What's your what, an inspiration? Something that really inspires you it can be a place, a person, or a, an, an idea, and a guilty pleasure. Something that not say guilty, but something which you know. I don't know. Just many people say chocolate, for example. Don't say chocolate, but you know something that's like a, you know Netflix or something. You know? yeah. know, yeah, inspiration well- and a guilty pleasure.
1: A guilty pleasure. Well, I've had to discipline myself with, with my doom scrolling on Instagram these days lately. You know, uh, I, I can watch Instagram for hours. You know, because I follow these interesting people. Also, there's all sorts of eye candy, but also people that are in the fitness and nutrition, and uh, spirituality, and uh, things like that. Um. It's an interesting question, because we can get lost in in hedonistic type of endeavors and we can even fool ourselves like, oh, I'm yoga teacher, I'm teaching a lot, oh, I'm doing good. Oh, but then wait a minute, as you you start to get older, what are you doing with this life? Are you just teaching some yoga classes or, or are you really making an impact? Are you really digging into what you have as your potential as a human being? And so, I can get lost in, you know, going to the beach and surfing and playing guitar and, you know, hanging out and and doing things. But I'm trying to. I keep trying to remind myself that uh, I'm here to have a a meaningful incarnation, and so I. I try to do meaningful things uh, from time to time. And this is such an interesting time and space that we find ourselves in, you know, 2023, good Lord. And all these strange things are happening in the world. Uh, And coming out of COVID, you know, it's easy for us, easy. I guess it's easy for someone to, I'm speaking for myself, to stay in my cave and kind of like survive and, But uh, to really pick it up a notch and to to do some extraordinary things that aren't being done in your community that need to be done, could be done, should be done. uh, That's the way I, I think to myself. And I did that a lot when I had my studio, you know, how can I make my yoga studio great and do cool things with and for the community? And so I'm still... Thinking that way and still, you know, envisioning, dreaming of things to do for myself, Mm. projects. And so, you talk about guilty pleasures. Yes, those, I have them. But what inspires me is when I see people doing really amazing things with their life. Um, You know, there's a lot of them out there. We know several people that are, you know, they're getting on like you. They're doing podcasts all the time. People that have a skill they have a trade and they're really putting themselves out there to put their information and their skill and their craft uh, that, that is healing for people and, yeah. and helps people learn and grow. That's what inspires me, you know? And there always have been individuals, even in the Ashtanga yoga community. I see these, you know, people that, we're in the generation before me or half the generation before me. And I would read their bios and I see the things they do. And I'm like, wow, that's really cool. I, uh, you know, those That inspires me. Mm, mm. see people like Richard Freeman write these books. Uh, Eddie Stern write these books, do these things. I'm like, wow, these are really gifted and smart and dedicated, you know. And so when I see people doing that, it inspires me to take it up a notch mm-hmm.
0: yeah well, I think you've been an inspiration for many people already so you don't need to worry about that and, and um, yeah I really look forward to seeing what you what you come up with in the future and thanks for agreeing to chat and um, yeah keep doing that good work in Hong Kong.
1: Thank you Adam such a pleasure to be yeah. on and uh, I wish we could talk more, but uh, this is enough time yeah
0: thanks Clayton. Keep in
1: touch I look forward to seeing this in, in the future
0: mm-hmm. I hope so. thanks for coming on
1: Cheers now okay. God bless. Bless Thank you.